irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. You are now in the Sapphire Planet. The passenger pigeon, or also known as the wild pigeon, genus species name Ectopistus migratorius, is an extinct North American bird. Named after the French word passenger for passing by, it was once the most abundant bird in North America and possibly the world. It accounted for more than a quarter of all birds in North America. The species lived in enormous migratory flocks until the early 20th century when hunting and habitat destruction led to its demise. One flock in the year 1866 in southern Ontario was described as being one mile wide, 300 miles long, and took 14 hours to pass, and held in excess of 3.5 billion birds. That number, if accurate, would likely represent a larger fraction of the entire population at the time. Some estimates, three to five billion passenger pigeons were in the United States when Europeans arrived in North America. Others argue the species had not been common in the pre-Columbian period but their numbers grew when devastation of the American Indian population by European diseases led to reduced competition for food. The species went from being one of the most abundant birds in the world during the 19th century to extinction early in the 20th century. At that time, passenger pigeons had one of the largest groups or, flo or flocks of any animals second only 
to the Rocky Mountain Locust. Some reduction in numbers occurred from habitat loss when European settlement led to mass deforestation. Next, pigeon meat was commercialized as a cheap food for slaves and the poor in the 19th century, resulting in hunting on a massive and mechanized scale. A slow decline between about 1800 and 1870 was followed by a catastrophic decline between 1870 and 1890. Martha, thought to be the world's last passenger pigeon, died on September 1, 1914, at the Cincinnati Zoo. The passenger pigeon was a member of the pigeon and dove family, Columbadea, and was originally described in 1766 as Columba Migratoria by Carl Linnaeus. In 1827, William John Swainson moved the passenger pigeon from the genus Columba to a newly made monotypic genus, Ectoepstis, due in part to the greater length of the tail and wings, larger size, and sexual dimorphism, and lack of facial stripe. Many other scientific names have been applied, including names with the morning dove's specific name, Macrora and Epistestis canandensis, but have been rejected in favor of Ectoceptus migratorius. The passenger pigeon had no known subspecies. The passenger pigeon's closest living relatives were originally thought to be Zenendaea doves, particularly the mourning doves, based on morphological grounds. The mourning dove was even suggested to belong to the genus Ectosepsis and was later listed by some authors as E. carolinensis. However, genetic analysis in 2010 demonstrated that the passenger pigeon was in fact closely related to the American pigeons, including Western North American bantail pigeons, to which the passenger pigeon may have been an Eastern counterpart. More than 130 passenger pigeon fossils have been found across 25 states and provinces. These records date as far back as 100,000 years ago in the Pleistocene era, during which the pigeon's range extended at least to California and other western states that were not part of its modern range. The passenger pigeon was found across most of North America east of the Rocky Mountains. It originally bred from the southern parts of eastern and central Canada, south to eastern Kansas, Oklahoma, Mississippi, 
and Georgia in the United States. But the primary breeding range was in southern Ontario and the Great Lakes states south through states north of the Appalachian Mountains. The pigeon wintered from Arkansas, Tennessee, and North Carolina south to Texas, the Gulf Coast, and northern Florida. However, flocks occasionally wintered as far north as Pennsylvania and Connecticut. There were also sightings of passenger pigeons outside its normal range, including several western states, Bermuda, Cuba, and Mexico. Particularly during severe winters, it has been suggested that some of these extraliminal records may be considered extraliminal more on the basis of the observers in what was then unsettled country than on the ex actual extent of the wandering passenger pigeons, and that the bird may have appeared anywhere on the continent except for the far west. There were also accidental records from Scotland, Ireland, and France, although these birds may have been escapees. Its primary habitat was eastern deciduous forests. During the day, it left the roosting forests to forage on more open land. Beaches and oaks produced the most needed to support nesting and roosting flocks. It preferred to winter in large swamps, particularly those with alder trees. If swamps were not available, forested areas, particularly with pine trees, were favored roosting sites. The passenger pigeon was one of the most social land birds. It lived in colonies stretching over hundreds of square miles and practiced communal breeding with up to a hundred nests in a single tree. At the height of its population of three to five billion, it may have been the most numerous bird on earth. Some scientists believe that it accounted for between 25 and 40% of the total land bird population in the United States. Even today, the passenger pigeon's historic population is roughly the equivalent of a numbers of birds that overwinter in the United States every year. The passenger pigeon was nomadic and had no sight fidelity, often choosing to nest in a different location each year. Pigeon migration in flocks numbering billions was a spectacle without parallel. The famous John James Audubon described one flock he encountered with the words, I dismounted, seated myself on an eminence, 
and began to mark with my pencil, making a dot for every flock that passed. In a short time, finding the task which I had undertaken impractical, as the birds poured in on countless multitudes, I rose and counting the dots then put down, found that 163 had been made in 21 minutes. I traveled on and still met more the further I proceeded. The air was literally filled with pigeons. The light of the noonday was obscured as by an eclipse. The bird dung fell in spots, not unlike melting flakes of snow, and the continued buzz of wings had a tendency to lull my senses to repose. Before sunset, I reached Louisville, distance from Hardensburg, 55 miles. The pigeons were still passing in undiminished numbers and continued to do so for three days in succession. Other observers frequently describe these flocks as being so dense that they blacken the sky and as having no sign of subdivisions. The flocks range from only three feet above ground in very windy conditions to as high as 1,300 feet or 400 meters. These migrating flocks were typically in narrow columns that twisted and undulated, but they were reported as bearing in nearly every conceivable shape. The passenger pigeon was an excellent flyer and is estimated to have averaged 62 miles or 100 kilometers per hour during migration. It flew with quick, repleted flaps that increased the bird's velocity the closer the wings got to the body. It was equally as adept and quick at flying through a forest as through open space. A flock was also adept at following the lead of the pigeon in front of it, and flocks swerved together to avoid a predator. When landing, the pigeon flapped its wings repeatedly before raising them at the moment of landing. However, the pigeon was awkward when foraging on the ground and used a jerky alert step to move around. The pigeon bathed in shallow water and afterwards lay on each side in turn and raised the opposite wing to dry it. At roosting sites, the passenger pigeons packed so densely on branches that even thick ones often broke under the collective weight. They often piled on top of each other's backs to roost. The pigeons rested in a slumped position that hid their feet. They slept with their bills concealed by the feathers in the middle of their breasts 
while holding their tail at a 45 degree angle. Dung could accumulate under a roosting site to a depth of over one foot. If the pigeon became alert, it would often stretch out its head and neck in line with its body and tail, then nodded its head in a circular pattern. When aggravated by another pigeon, it raised its wings threateningly, but passenger pigeons almost never actually fought. Nesting colonies attracted large numbers of predators, including American minks, weasels, American martens, and raccoons that preyed on eggs and nestlings. Predatory birds such as owls, hawks, and eagles that preyed on nestlings and adults, and wolves, foxes, bobcats, bears, and mountain lions that preyed on injured adults and fallen nestlings. Accipiters and falcons pursued the prey upon pigeons in flight, which in turn executed complex aerial maneuvers to avoid them. The Cooper's hawk was known as the great pigeon hawk due to its successes, and Cooper's hawks allegedly followed migration passenger pigeons. It is believed that the large congregation of pigeons were based on anti-predator benefits of very large numbers. While many predators were drawn to flocks, individual pigeons were largely protected due to their sheer size of the flock. And overall, little damage could be inflicted on the flock by predation. Despite the number of predators, nesting colonies were so large that they were estimated to have a 90% success rate, if not disturbed. In addition to attracting predators, the passenger pigeon hosted at least two species of parasites. One species of Philtilleroporide laus, Columacola extinctus, was originally thought to have lived on just passenger pigeons and became extinct with them. However, this coextinction was proven inaccurate by 1999 when Columbacola extinctus was rediscovered living on band tailed pigeons. Another louse, Campanilutos defectus, was thought to have been unique to the passenger pigeon. However, it is now believed to have been a case of a contaminated specimen, as the species is now considered to be the still livingness, the still living Campylinus flavus of Australia. There is no record of a wild pigeon dying of either disease or parasites.
one of the primary causes of natural mortality was the weather. And every spring, many individuals froze to death after migrating north too early. In captivity, a passenger pigeon was capable of living to at least 15 years. Martha, the last known living passenger pigeon, was at least 17 and possibly as old as 29 years when she died. However, it is unknown how long a wild pigeon lived. The bird is believed to have played a large ecological role in the composition of pre-settlement forests of eastern North America. For instance, forests, while the passenger pigeon was living, were dominated by white oaks. This species germinated in the fall, therefore producing acorns during the spring to be devoured and spread by the pigeons. The absence of the passenger pigeon seed dispersal may have led to the modern dominance of red oaks. At roosting sites, few plants grew for years after the pigeons left. Additionally, the immense amount of dung present at these sites increased both the frequency and intensity of forest fires. Reproduction. The formation of a nesting colony did not necessarily take place until several months after the pigeons arrived on their breeding grounds. Typically during late March, April, or May, the colonies, which were known as cities, were immense, ranging from 120 acres to thousands of acres and were often long and narrow in shape. Due to the topography, they were rarely continuous. Since no accurate data were recorded, it is not possible to give more than estimates on the size and population of these nesting areas. The large nesting area, the largest one ever recorded, was in central Wisconsin in the year 1871. It was reported as covering 850 square miles or 2,200 square kilometers with the number of birds nesting there estimated to be around 136 million. In addition to these cities, there were regular reports of much smaller flocks or even individual pairs setting up a nesting site. Courtship took place at the nesting colony. Once again, John James Audubon describes the courtship of the passenger pigeon as the following. The male 
assumes a pompous demeanor and follows the female, whether on the ground or in the branches, with spread tail and drooping wings, which it rubs against the part over which it is moving. The body is elevated, the throat swells, the eyes sparkle. He continues his notes and now and then rises on the wing and flies a few yards to approach the figurative and timorous female. Like the domestic pigeon and other species, they caress each other by billing, in which action the bill of the one is introduced traversely into that of the other, and both parties alternately disgorge the contents of their crop by repeated efforts. Captive passenger pigeons did not perform the bowing, strutting, and billing described by Audubon, and there is some debate over the accuracy of Audubon's description. Unlike other pigeons, courtships took place on a branch or perch. The male, with a flourish of the wings, made a kick call while near a female. He then gripped tightly to the branch and vigorously flapped his wings up and down. When he was close to the female, the male then pressed against her on the perch with his head held high and pointing at her. If receptive, the female pressed back against the male. As both pigeons took care of the nest, the pairs were monogamous for the duration of the nesting. When ready to mate, the pair preened each other. This was followed by the bird's billing, in which the female inserted her bill into the clasp, the male's bill, shook for a second, and separated quickly while standing next to each other. The male then scrambled onto the female's back and copulated, which was then followed by soft clucking and occasionally more preening. Nests were built immediately after pair formation and took two to four days to construct. This process was highly synchronized within a colony. Nearly every tree capable of supporting nests had them, often more than 50 nests per tree. One hemlock tree was recorded of holding 317 nests the female chose the nesting site by sitting on it and flicking her wings. The male then carefully selected nesting materials, typically twigs, and handed them to the female over her back. He then went in search of more nesting material while the female constructed the nest beneath her. Nests were built between six and sixty feet or two to twenty meters above ground though a typical average was about thirteen feet or four meters and were made of seventy to a hundred and ten twigs woven together to create a loose 
shallow bowl through which the eggs could easily be seen. This bowl was then typically lined with finer twigs. The nests were about six inches or 15 centimeters wide, two and a half or six centimeters, two and a half inches or six and a half centimeters high, and three quarters of an inch or two centimeters deep. Generally, the eggs were laid during the first two weeks of April across the pigeon's range. Each female laid a single egg immediately or almost immediately after the nest was completed. Sometimes the pigeon was forced to lay on it on the ground if the nest was not complete. Occasionally, a second female laid her egg in another female's nest, resulting in two eggs being present. The egg was white and oval shaped and averaged one and a half inches or 40 millimeters by one and a third inches or 34 millimeters in size. If the egg was lost, it was possible for the pigeon to lay a replacement egg within a week. A whole colony was known to re-nest after a snowstorm forced them to abandon their original colony. The egg was incubated for 12 to 14 days, with the male incubating it from mid-morning to mid-afternoon, and the female incubating it for the rest of the time. Upon hatching, the nestling was blind and covered sparsely, only with yellow hair-like down. It developed quickly, and within 14 days weighed as much as its parents. During this brooding period, both parents took care of the nestling, with the males attending for the midday. The nestlings were fed crop milk exclusively for the first three or four days. After 13 to 15 days, the parents abandoned their nestlings, which begged in the nest for a day before fluttering to the ground and begging for food from nearby adults. It was another three or four days before it fledged. The nesting colonies broke up after the nestlings fledged, and it was unknown whether colonies re-nested after a successful nesting. The passenger pigeon sexually matured during its first year and bred the following spring. The passenger pigeon played a religious role in some northern Native American tribes. The Huron believed that every 12 years during the Feast of the Dead, the souls of the deceased changed into passenger pigeons and were then hunted and eaten. Before hunting, the juvenile pigeons, the Seneca made an offering to the old passenger pigeons 
an offering of wampum and brooches that were placed in small kettle or other receptacle by a smoky fire. The Ho-Chunk considered the passenger pigeon to be the bird of the chief, as they were served whenever the chieftain gave a feast. The Seneca believed that a white pigeon was the chief of the passenger pigeon colony, and that a council of birds had decided that the pigeons had to give their bodies to the Seneca because they were the only bird that nested in colonies. The Seneca developed a pigeon dance as a way of showing their gratitude. The early colonists thought that large flights of pigeons would be followed by ill fortune of sickness. When the pigeons wintered outside of their normal winter range, some believed they would have a sickly summer and autumn. The flavor of the flesh of passenger pigeons varied depending on how they were prepared. In general, juveniles were thought to taste the best followed by birds fattened in captivity and birds caught in September and October. The fat was also kept as butter. Though they did not last as long as the feathers of a goose, the feathers of the passenger pigeon were frequently used for bedding. Pigeon feather beds were so popular that for a time in Quebec, every dowry included a bed and pillow made of pigeon feathers. In 1822, one family in Chautauqua County, New York, killed 4,000 pigeons in a single day solely for their feathers. In the 18th and 19th century, various parts of the pigeon were alleged to have medical properties. The blood was supposed to be good for eye disorders. The powdered stomach lining was used to treat dysentery. And the dung was used to treat a variety of ailments, including headaches, stomach pains, and lethargy. The passenger pigeon was an important source of food for the people of North America. The Native Americans ate passenger pigeons, and tribes near nesting colonies would sometimes move to live closer to them and eat the juveniles. The juveniles were killed at night with long poles. Most Native Americans were careful not to disturb the adult pigeons and instead ate only the juveniles as they were afraid that the adult pigeons might desert the nesting grounds. In some tribes, 
disturbing the adult pigeons was considered a crime. Away from the nests, large nets were used to capture adult pigeons, sometimes up to 800 at a time. Among the game birds, passenger pigeons were second only to the wild turkey in terms of importance for Native Americans living in the southeastern United States. The bird's fat was stored, often in large quantities, and used as butter. Archaeological evidence support the idea that the Native Americans ate the pigeons frequently prior to the colonization. After colonization, the passenger pigeon was an important source of food for the poor or common people due to its availability and low cost. It was particular value on the frontier, and some colonies counted on the pigeons to support their populations. In the early 19th century, commercial hunters began netting and shooting the birds to sell in city markets as food, as live targets for trap shooting, and even as food for pigs. Once pigeon meat became popular, commercial hunting started on a prodigious scale. John James Audubon described the preparation for slaughter at a known pigeon roosting site. Few pigeons were there to be seen, but a great number of persons with horses and wagons, guns and ammunition, had already established encampments on the borders. Two farmers from the vicinity of Russellville, distant more than a hundred miles, had driven upwards of up to 300 hogs to be fattened on the pigeons that which were to be slaughtered. Here and there, the people employed in plucking and salting what had already been procured were seen sitting in the midst of large pile of these birds. Dung lay several inches deep, covering the whole extent of the roosting place. One method of capture was to hunt at a nesting colony, particularly during the period of a few days after the adult pigeons abandoned their nestlings but before the nestlings could fly. Some hunters used sticks to post the necklings out of the nests, while others shot the bottom of the nest with a blunt arrow to dislodge the pigeons. Others cut down a nesting tree in such a way that when it fell, it would also hit a second nesting tree and dislodge the pigeons within. Still another way was to simply set a nesting tree on fire, cooking the doves or collecting them as they tried to escape. There was a wide variety of other methods that were used to capture and kill passenger pigeons. Sulfur was sometimes burned beneath the nesting trees to suffocate the birds, which fell out of the tree in a weakened state. At least one trapper used alcohol-soaked grain as bait 
to intoxicate the birds and make them easier to kill. Salt was frequently used as bait, and many trappers set up near salt springs. Stool pigeons, which traditionally were blinded, were also used to attract flocks of pigeons that thought that the stool pigeons had found food. Low-flying pigeons could be killed by throwing sticks or stones. At one site in Oklahoma, the pigeons leaving the roost every morning flew low enough that the Cherokee could throw clubs into their mists, which caused the lead pigeons to try to make a turn aside, and in the process created a blockade that created a large mass of flying, easily hit pigeons. Nets were propped up to allow passenger pigeons entry, then closed by knocking loose the stick that supported the opening, trapping 20 or more pigeons inside. Tunnel nets were also used to great effect, and one particularly large net was capable of catching 3,500 pigeons at a time. These nets were used by many farmers on their own property, as well as by professional trappers. Passenger pigeons were shot with such ease that many did not consider them to be game bird, as an amateur hunter could easily bring down six with one shotgun blast. A particularly good shot with both barrels of a shotgun at a roost could kill 61 birds. They were frequently shot either in flight during migration or immediately afterwards when they traditionally perched in dead exposed trees. The pigeons did prove difficult to shoot head-on, so hunters typically waited for the plucks to pass overhead before shooting them. Trenches were sometimes dug and filled with grain so that hunters could shoot the pigeons along the trench. Hunters largely outnumbered the trappers and hunting passenger pigeons was a popular sport for young boys. At a nesting site in Petoskey, Michigan, in 1878, 50,000 birds were killed each day for nearly five months. The surviving adults attempted a second nesting site at new sites, but were killed by professional hunters before they had a chance to raise any young. Historians documented that over a million birds could be exterminated at one time from a single flock, and that an equal number were left either wounded or orphaned before they could fend for themselves. One historian reports that a single unknown hunter, his name lost to history, sent three million birds to eastern cities during his career. It was common practice to fatten trapped pigeons before eating them or storing their bodies for winter. Deceased pigeons were commonly stored by salting or pickling the bodies. Other times, only the breasts of the pigeons were kept, in which case they were typically smoked. 
By the mid-1800s, railroads had opened new opportunities for pigeon hunters. While previously it proved too difficult to ship masses of pigeons to eastern cities, the access provided by the railroad permitted pigeon hunting to become commercialized. After being opened up to the railroads, the town of Plattsburgh, New York, is estimated to have shipped 1.8 million pigeons to larger cities in 1851 alone at a price of 31 to 56 cents a dozen. By the late 1800s, the trade of passenger pigeons had become commercialized. Large commission houses employed trappers to follow the flocks of pigeons year-round. In 1874, at least 600 individuals were employed as pigeon trappers, a number which grew to 1,200 by 1881. Pigeons were so commonplace that by 1876, shipments of dead pigeons were unable to recoup the cost of the barrels and ice needed to ship them which led to the pigeons being caught alive instead. By the turn of the 20th century, the last known group of passenger pigeons was kept by Professor Charles Otis Whitman at the University of Chicago. Whitman studied these pigeons along with rock doves and Eurasian collared doves. All of Whitman's pigeons were descended from the same pair. Whitman and the Cincinnati Zoo attempted to breed the surviving birds, including attempts at making a rock dove foster passenger pigeon eggs. Whitman sent a female named Martha to the Cincinnati Zoo in 1902. While Whitman had about a dozen passenger pigeons in 1903, they had stopped breeding. And by 1906, he was down to five birds. On September 1st, 1914, Martha, the last known passenger pigeon, died in the Cincinnati Zoo. Her body was frozen into a block of ice and sent to the Smithsonian Institution, where it was skinned, dissected, photographed, and mounted. Currently, Martha is in the museum's archive collection and is not on display. A memorial statue of Martha stands on the grounds of the Cincinnati Zoo. Your journey is now ending.
you are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.